Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Sponsored by Leadership Excursion Company and recorded from The Coop, located in Summerlin, Las Vegas. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making incredible impacts in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Did you know that Las Vegas is home to the fifth largest school district in the nation and only five of the district's middle schools have a dedicated drama program? Today, we welcome drama teacher Lisa Roberge. She shares what she has done to keep her program intact, what her school does to tackle bullying, and her advocacy for type 1 diabetes and research. Enjoy. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's so great to see you. Thank you. <laughs> and you are dressed up, ready for the holidays. School Spirit Week. <laughs> yes, School Spirit Week. Um, what was what was today's? Today theme? was Winter Wonderland, so it was scarves or hats or mittens. So I just went the scarf route. Yeah. Oh, and you have uh, the little snowflake, snowflake earrings. earrings. Yes. You have it going on. Thank you. Um, so you're a teacher. Yes, I am. I teach drama and media at Great Sawyer Middle School. Here in Las Vegas. Here in Las Vegas, yes. Yeah. How long have you been a teacher? This is my 21st year teaching, and um, all that time I've been at the same school, actually. Yeah. What made you want to be a teacher? Um, actually, I come from a long line of teachers. I'm from a very, very small town in upstate New York called Hudson Falls, and my father was a high school English teacher. My mother was a special ed high school teacher. My grandfather was an English teacher. My grandmother was the principal secretary. And I just always loved working, especially in my mom's room, actually, with different kids. And I would work in the summer doing um, programs for kids that would come in during the summer to do arts and crafts and things like that. Yeah. And how did you become interested in drama? My father um, is a high, was a high school English teacher. He's retired now, and he ran the drama program there. So my first part, I was six years old, and I was in A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And from then on, I just became very, very involved in it, loved it, did a lot of theater in college. The interesting thing is when I moved to Vegas, I taught science and reading. And they had a theater teacher, but I didn't know anything about teaching drama all day long. But after two years there and helping out, the principal came to me and said, our theater teacher just quit. Would you like to take over? Okay. So basically like dream job. Yeah. Because I did have a minor in English and theater, and so I took it over and suddenly realized, wow, I, I can do this. Yeah. This, this is pretty awesome. Did your principal know that about you, that it's something you wanted yeah, he, to do? Yeah, he did know because I would help out a little bit with the productions okay. that were going on, and he just, it, it was a pretty awesome thing, and I've been there ever since then. Yeah, definitely. So what does a day in the life of Ms. Roberge look like? Um, I, I'm an early person to school, so I usually get there around 6.45, and 7.30 is when they start letting the kids in the doors. But usually about 7 o'clock on my back door, we have kids tapping, especially this time of year with it being cold, mm-hmm. to come in, and they'll either talk or they'll get go through some of their maybe competition pieces or they'll do other homework. So it's kind of like a safe environment for them to be in in the morning. And then uh, after that, we start our day. I have beginning drama classes and advanced drama class as well. So on any given day, like, for example, right now we're working on our final exam skits. So they have to choose a scene or a monologue and um, on their own figure out how they're going to present it. And then also they will be critiquing each other when we're done. Okay. So that's our current unit. But there'll be a lot of other things. Like we do units on Greek theater, on Shakespeare. Um, We do one on the Twilight Zone that's really fun. Just different types of genres of theater. Yeah. Is, 
Are all the students in your school required to take drama, or is this an optional class? No, this class? is an optional class. Um, yeah. It's one of the electives, band, choir, orchestra, um, art, and drama. And um, I'm very fortunate because there's only about five middle schools in Vegas that have drama as an elective. It's usually just an after-school program. So I feel very fortunate that we've still managed to stay a program there, full-blown. Yeah. How does that? How did that happen? Um, I really think that a lot of it had to do with our success. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was doing at first, but I knew how to do it. And I knew the expectations that like my father had always had. And we started just getting a really big, huge community behind us. And then I started taking the kids to competition where we're competing against the high school students, but we were at competing and receiving the same rankings that they were. And I think because we kept getting awards and we kept um, getting enrollment that kids wanted to be in theater. And now I have brothers and sisters and cousins of kids that I had years ago. I think that's what's kept it there and made it safe. Yeah. So do you think it's because you've been teaching at the school for so long? Like you mentioned, Um, you know, sisters, brothers. Yeah. I I think that that sense of community helps because when you have parents that are saying, okay, we're going to Sawyer, but we want our kid to be in drama, then that tends to keep it around a little bit longer. And in the fact that we, that the kids work so hard and there's and they are successful. I mean, we last year we took nine kids to the International Thespian Festival in Lincoln, Nebraska, because they oh, wow. made, they were eligible. They got superior at the state competition, and so we were there for a week, living in the dorm room and uh, going to competitions and seeing shows. And that's a pretty pretty great experience for kids, especially from Las Vegas, who a lot of times don't go anywhere else or have never been anywhere else. Right. So. Yeah. Now you mentioned that um, you have four houses at your school. Yes, we do. It's a Harry Potter house system, actually based on Ron Clark, who has become more and more famous lately. He has a school in Georgia. Well, tell me more about okay. this. I'm so, so interested. Yeah, the house system, we have uh, four houses. The houses are Creativo, Valoroso, Sabio, and Amable. And they each have qualities of the house. Like, for example, Creativo is creativity, and the color is yellow. And on Fridays, the, all the kids and the teachers in the house of Creativo, we wear yellow and we celebrate. And you earn points for your house by doing things what we call the Sawyer 7. The basic idea is that some things aren't necessarily being taught at home anymore, like pick up your trash, keep school clean, show professional etiquette, dress appropriately. So those are part of our Sawyer 7. And when we witness a student demonstrating one of those, then they get points for their house. And at the end of each quarter, whoever has the most points, they get a big, huge celebration, which is a lot of fun for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the beginning of the year, what we do is we have a sixth grade sorting ceremony where all the sixth graders come running in and they put their hand in, they pull out a lanyard, whatever color lanyard it is, that's the house that they belong to. And then we compete and have like a big party and everything. So it's, it's a really cool system that builds, again, a sense of community, a sense of family for a lot of these kids. Mm -hmm. Whose decision was it to adopt? That was our principal, um, Dr. Joy Lee. And at the time, a lot of schools were doing this um, because they basically, through a grant, we were able to send a portion of our teachers to the Ron Clark Academy for a two-day trip to see how it worked. And we did that over a period of two years so that most of our staff has been there to see how it works and um, what their beliefs are and how they get the kids motivated. Now, granted, it's a much smaller school. It's a little more difficult on the scale we have here in Las Vegas, but I still think the basic ideas are, are worth it. Okay. And you're at a public school? Yes, public school. With the Clark County School Clark District? Clark County School District, yes. Okay. And um, when did when did your school start doing this? Um, that was about four years ago. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's been, it's been a journey of learning what works and what doesn't, <laughs> definitely. Oh, absolutely. And do you actively... 
uh, make improvements based on whatever the yes students. we do um, and being a house teacher leader when we see what happens that you know after we have a house council made up of students also that apply and after each celebration or after each um, assembly that we have we, we conduct feedback we have them go out and get feedback from the students and then they bring it back to us and we try to modify like okay this was too long or this we need more excitement with and I think that really helps because it also gives the kids ownership and Absolutely. They, they have to buy into it or else it's not going to work. Right, right. Yeah, so what was it like that first year that you're implementing this? The first year was very different because we um, did it just based on grade level. Mm-hmm. So each house was a grade level. Mm-hmm. And um, and it worked, but we started it about halfway through the year. And then it was the next year that it, we really started in full force with kids randomly selecting it. And, and there, it, it did seem to work. It took a little getting used to, like, the eighth graders a little bit thought they were too cool for it, you know, at first – whereas the sixth graders were super excited about it. But now that you have those kids that were sixth graders are now in eighth grade and they've grown up with it and being excited, it kind of trickles down so that the whole school is definitely buying into it a lot more. Oh, that's which is good. good. Yeah. And I guess you don't necessarily have to have ever read a Harry Potter book. To no, kind of no, to get the idea. Understand yeah, what's yes. going on. A right? lot of the high schools in the area do it too, but they do it with colleges and things mm-hmm. like that. So, But I do think it's a good system. Okay. What other programs do you have in place at your school that you're involved in? Um, I Well, several that I do just because um, about three years ago, I got my administrative degree. So in terms of being on different committees, I try to do things like that. I'm on um, some funding committees. I'm on the school improvement committee, um, things that help me with my resume when I may be ready to get out of the classroom and become a dean, assistant principal, that sort of thing. Um, and then also on the outside, but the meetings take place at our school, I'm involved with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation um, for children with type 1 diabetes. And I work with a group called the Youth Ambassadors, and we do a speakers bureau where I help them to learn to be more confident in public speaking and in advocating for themselves. But we do it through fun ways. We do it through theater games and through skits about what they wish people knew about diabetes and or the stupid questions that they get asked. And it's a really amazing experience because we have an age, the youngest one right now I think is four, and the oh, oldest wow. is um, 17 or 18. So it's really cool to just have that huge group. And the wonderful thing about my students at Sawyer is usually when I have these meetings and they're in an evening, about 20 of my students will stay after just to help because they want to find out more. And I think that's a good mixture too because it involves the interaction of all the kids. Yeah. And why do you think the the kids really want to be involved in a program like that? Um, I think for a lot of it, it's just a sense of family. Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas can be a very, very rough city. And for a lot of these kids, I think having a place to belong and having a place to feel safe and where they feel like they can really be themselves is very, very important for them. Right, and connect with somebody else that, that right, right. is going through something similar and, that yeah, they are. Yeah, and especially just our school in general. We are a type one school. We are a poverty school. And um, it means that we have a very... Um, we have a high homeless population, actually. And so I think just the idea of drama in general or staying, it's it's just, again, that sense of belonging, having somewhere to be, having somewhere to go, which is which is a good thing for them. Yeah. So I could see um, drama being a big part of that. It is, yeah. I mean, all the performing arts are definitely, I think drama is a little different in just the sense that you get more interaction with each other, yeah. um, one-on-one stuff and group things, so. Do you have any bullying challenges at your school? Um, we actually do. And um, interesting point. About five or six years ago, I took a group of kids to competition and we saw a play called The Weight of Your Words. And it was written by students in Florida through something called the Lovewell Institute. 
And we were blown away by the play because it was such a, a powerful play about bullying and about all types of bullying. So we came back and we asked our principal, we said, it's a little rough because there's a little bit of rough language because that's what happens in bullying, but can we do it? And he said, yes. And ever since then, every year now, the advanced drama class does that as a production. And we do it in the fall and we actually perform it um, eight times in one day because so that every single eighth grader at our school gets to see it during their English class. And then we do it after school and then at night. And it's an incredibly powerful play. And we've changed it up over the past couple of years to add more things to it, to add in the elements of like cyberbullying and texting and things like that. Because I think our school is better than most because of this campaign. Um, one of the phrases is, do you know the weight of your words? And you'll hear kids saying that over and over to each other. And I think that that at least is making a little bit of an impact there. Um, and I think kids feel more comfortable being able to report instances of bullying. Right. And they know what to say and who to yes. go through. Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned you have a high homelessness population yes. at your school. Yeah. How do you manage that as a teacher? Um, it is, it's a challenge. Um, for example, there is um, a PE coach at our school right now that she's just managed to get about 50 gift bags to give to the kids over the holidays. And it's and it's not necessarily even presents. It's just things that they're embarrassed to ask for, like deodorant, shampoo, lotion, things like that that they really need. Um, it's hard because you just have to keep trying to tell them that it's going to be okay, you know, and you hear that they've been kicked out of where they're living or um, we have a very high transient population because of things like that, kids moving or unfortunately, evictions and things like that. But the biggest thing that they just need is some stability. And that's what we just try to provide at the school to begin with, is some stability there for them. Um, it's one of the reasons that three years ago, I applied for a grant, actually, it was four years ago, the first time, um, from the Rogers Foundation, and it was called the Gift of Imagination Grant, because I wanted to create a summer theater program so that these kids that don't have a lot could actually have a place to go during the summer. And the first year, I didn't get it. But I went back the second year and I made some changes and I added a whole bunch of pictures and video and I got the grant. And it was for $38,500. And it was to create a summer program um, where we would build community into it. And so we were able to do it. And the first year we had about 30 kids involved in it, which was a little smaller than I wanted, but we also didn't find out about the grant money till almost the end of the year. So it was hard to get those kids to commit. But we ended up... Um, doing an anniversary of the 9-11 attacks show. It was called War at Home. And we performed it um, at the school and at the library. And we did a dinner theater and we had the community come in and everything was free to the families. It was no cost to the kids at all. And every morning we would meet from about 8 to 1230. And it wasn't just doing theater. We brought in um, different alumni students to come in and talk. Um, we had some people from the community. Carla Ray came out um, and talked about being in the media. We had um, some actors and actresses come in and talk to the kids. So it was a really great experience. And then we were able to do it again last year. And last year we had about 45 kids. So hopefully we'll be able to do it again because now we're making a profit from our shows. <laughs> that sounds incredible. So you're a teacher. Yes. And you notice that you can uh, help in some sort of way. How do you know that you that there are grants out there? And do you have to personally be proactive about going after those grants and writing the, the application and everything? You, you really do. You have to um, be able to. I, I was lucky enough that my principal at the time just sent me the information. He said, look into this because it looked, you know, the gift of imagination grant is meant for the performing arts because I had looked at other grants before, but it, it is a little overwhelming. However, I did remember from 
few years ago when I got another master's, um, I had gotten one in curriculum instruction and I had a grant writing class. And so I remember and I brought out some old stuff and I looked and like I said, the first time I didn't get the grant. And then I went back and I'm like, okay, what are they like? They want to see pictures of the kids. They want to see what's really happening. So the final grant that I submitted that we actually got, it ended up being, I think it was 38 pages and just detailing and outlining everything, how the money would be spent and, you know, where we would use it and why we need it. And it, it is definitely a process. Um, I'd, I'd like to do it again because I think now that I've got the idea of how to do it. But um, yeah, th there are out there, but it's hard to find, and especially with the demands that are being made more and more on teachers, it's hard to find that extra time to sit down and write something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's something else I'm curious about. So you've been teaching for quite some time. Yes, yes. You know, what's the biggest difference in your mind between <clears throat> starting out your career 20, 21 years ago yeah. and now? I mean, you just mentioned there's there's more challenges and... and um, well, definitely, to just take the school itself, for example, when I first started teaching there, it was a very, um, very wealthy school. We had very, mm. very wealthy children. And, you know, real quick, and yeah. I don't, um, just to interrupt... To clarify, where in town is Sawyer? It's um, over near Rainbow and Tropicana, the southwest part of town. It's right okay. behind Spring Valley Hospital, actually. Yeah, and you know yeah. we have listeners that are out of town. I just want to yeah. explain really quick. So, twenty-one years ago, that was there was nothing there. Really, there was just, nothing there. No, no. and um, we mm -hmm. most of our kids were from an area called Spanish Trails, which mm -hmm. is a very affluent neighborhood. Or they it were, and, and just you had very solid family structures, and. Um, now you go leap ahead into now when it's, um, you know, it, it's very well developed in that area. Um, we do have a homeless population. You have kids that in Las Vegas is very different in many ways because you don't have parents working a normal nine to five job. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they it, don't always have the same weekend right. that the kids do. So um, it is a very different sort of atmosphere. And that is a challenge, I think. Um, it's one that I've learned. Um, just also the multiculturalism, you know, the different um, kids that you have there. We, we've had a huge influx from different countries over the past years, depending on what's going on in the world. And there are definite cultural differences that I didn't know before. And, and once I learned them, it's like, wow, you have to be aware of that. And um, then I would say that one of the big things, too, is just technology. The, um, the fact that, you know, most kids do have a cell phone and you have to change your teaching to be um, to keep their attention and to show them why it matters and why it's relevant when they're just looking at a cell phone or looking at their media and social media and things like that. Um, the social media aspect comes into play with the bullying as well. You know, it's not the kids writing notes to each other in class anymore. It's them going home and going online and having horrible things happen. So it's definitely... I've seen a huge change. I mean, I know every generation says, oh, it's changed a lot. But this one I feel like is is really big. Um, and just me as a person, too. I mean, I'm from a very small town in upstate New York. So to come out to Las Vegas and see this, that was a culture shock enough to begin with. Mm -hmm. But um, I do feel like I've learned a lot. And I feel like it's made me a better teacher, though, um, being able to understand the different perspectives. Yeah. How did you end up in Las Vegas? Um, it was actually a job fair. It was one of the years, of course, when Vegas needed thousands and thousands of teachers. But um, I had actually was planning to go to Orange County because they had offered me a job, but they couldn't tell me what school or anything. And a couple days before I was supposed to leave, I got a call from um, Mr. Ronnie Smith, who was principal at Sawyer Middle School at the time. 
And he, it was, I mean, it was an actual person on the phone. And he said, I want you to go to our website and I'd like you to take this job. And for me, it was like, wow, here's an actual principal calling. This is a lot better. So I looked at everything and I said, and I moved out and it was my sister's birthday. I remember, and I looked at my family, I said, I think I'm moving to Las Vegas. And they all looked at me like I was crazy, but, yeah. but 21 late years later, here I am. So, and you've made a life here. And- yes. Is your family still back east? Yes, they are. Um, most well, my parents and grandparents are back east, and my sister and her family are in Florida. So yeah. All right. So two years into your career, yes, <laughs> you're in a new city. Yes, <laughs> and um, you've been handed your dream job. Yes. What was that first year like? Oh, it was it was exciting, and it was also crazy all at the same time. Oh, I'm sure. Um, at the time, we were becoming one of the biggest middle schools in the country because they, again, they didn't have anything built around us, but they were starting to, and they didn't have another middle school there. And we, that year, right now we have a population of about 1,300 students. Those couple years there, when I first started teaching drama, we had over 2,000 students in the same size school. (laughs) I mean, so my classes were very large. That was the first thing. And I definitely had to learn some um, classroom management. But I think because I was so excited, it was a lot of trial and error to see what worked and what didn't work. But um, seeing the kids get excited, that's when you knew it worked or it didn't work. And I think that's what helped out a lot. And then trying to direct my first play, I did take it easy. I didn't choose any major thing or any big musical. It was just a small play that had a lot of kids in it that could kind of just get us moving and off the ground. Yeah. The programs that you put in place the first couple of years, are those the same ones that you have in place yes, now? Yes, yes. And um, what do you do every year to, do you refine those programs? What do you do personally to change them? Or um, A lot of the times, I, I do pay a lot of attention to the kids when we're doing a unit. Are they into it? Are they not into it? Um, because, yeah, the same units you were using eight years ago, they might not work anymore. You, you have to refine it a little bit, add a little technology into it. Um I go online a lot and search for different things like plays and videos and things like that can, that can help. And, um, you know, talk to the other theater teachers when we get together at events and see what's working with your class. You know, I mean, if I have a class that comes back the next year in advance and they're saying, hey, when are we going to do this unit again? Or are we doing this again? Then I know that's a winner and that's mm-hmm. a keeper. So, I mean, I, I think it's important as a teacher or as in any position that you have, you, you need to listen to the people that are actually doing it. And if, if they're, involved and they buy in, then you've got it. Right. And if they don't, then maybe you need to change things up a little bit. Yeah. Have kids changed over the course of 20 years? Yeah. I um, Kids are a lot, let me see how I can put this, older now when they're younger. Um, I look back at when I was teaching, you know, the 11, 12, 13-year-olds, how they used to be, and now they they have a lot more knowledge, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, a lot of them, especially at our school, have, have has had a harder life. Um, which makes them very street smart, I would say. Um, and it's, it, it's sad sometimes to see that because there isn't, there is an innocence that isn't quite there anymore. Yeah. Um, even in some of the kids that may be from the best homes, they've, everybody's still been touched. And I think everybody is still touched by just different things that happen in our community or in their lives or where they're from. Yeah. What's your biggest challenge as a teacher? Um, I would say, well, there's always the challenge of paperwork that you need to do just for the district, yeah. which could be very challenging. But um, mm-hmm. again, it's that idea of keeping things relevant to the kids and um, keeping them engaged and helping them to understand that they can do it. 
Um, I, I hear all the time kids are frustrated. And I mean, and being in drama it does make it a little easier. I mean, you know, a kid may be really frustrated in math or English or something like that. But the idea is if you can get the kids to realize that why they need to be doing this or what it's important for and, and just find a way to reach them too. Um, what I found is if you can reach a kid on a personal level, then they're going to become interested in what you're doing because they can tell that you care. And I think that that's what's challenging about that sometimes is when you have so many kids that you need to reach, it, it can be very draining and very tiring. And you, and you have to catch yourself that, okay, I need to do this today. And I need to make sure that these kids truly are here um, and getting the best education, getting the best um, social experience that they can while they're in school. Yeah. What does that look like when you're having those conversations and making those uh, being, you know, being uh, proactive about those relationships with your students. Um, one of the things, and we kind of learned this um, from the Ron Clark Academy, but also we were doing this before, and it was the idea of. Well, and actually, I had a phrase at the time it was called capturing kids' hearts, but like most of us felt like we did this anyway. But the idea is, you know, you stand at your door in passing period, and every kid that comes in, you make sure you say hello, and try to, if you can, say, "Hey, how was your weekend?" or compliment them on something or say, how was that test? If you can do that to every single kid, which is hard, but if at least the majority hit them, that makes a huge difference because they feel like you're being welcomed to the class. And then you have a situation where a kid might not look okay. Um, and if you can take the time to say, hey, what's, what's going on? Come on, let's go over here for a minute and talk. And I think that's important too. I, I know we get busy and I know sometimes it's really hard, but you know, a student that is on the verge of tears or is really, really angry, isn't going to be good in your classroom anyway. So you yeah. might as well take the few minutes to actually find out what is going on. But, you know, I try to get, understand, like, you know, if, if they play baseball, if they play soccer, hey, did you have a game? You know, that sort of thing. And they, I think they do appreciate that. Um, and I work with a lot of good people that do that as well. And I, and I think that's one of the most important tools you can have as a teacher. Yeah. That is so important. It, it's it's really just a, a small gesture too. Yes. It doesn't yes. have to be. No, it doesn't have to be huge. No. Right, right. Do you as teachers get together and and um, you know if you notice a kid's having a bad day or things aren't going right? We do. Um, it, we usually do it and uh, through email is usually kind of the way. It's like, hey, do you have this kid or what's going on with this kid? Or sometimes the opposite. I've sent out emails before where I've been like, hey, this is going on with so and so. Just giving you a heads up. And I feel like when you're able to do that, then yeah, it does help a lot. Um, because it's, you know, it's not always going to help when you're at a big parent conference and the kids there are scared and you're there with the parents and stuff like that. I think the first step should always be to get the teachers to first be talking about, you know, the students. Sometimes you'll just be in the lunchroom and say, Hey, you got this kid? How is he? You know? Yeah. But at least there's communication about it and you can, you can figure out where is this person succeeding? Where are they not succeeding? Or do we really need to step in here and find out what's going on? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, drama, and then you also oversee media. Media. Um, yeah, the media class is responsible for, um, we are an iPad school, mm -hmm. um, which means we received a grant, so all the students are able to have iPads. And so with that, um, we have a class where they basically work a lot in iMovies or different movie applications. Um, I didn't used to teach media, but a few years ago, the teacher that did do it, um, there were some problems. And basically, the principal came to me and said, would you like to take this over? Well, media and drama are a pretty good fit because you can utilize aspects in both. Um, so we do uh, a morning announcement program called K-Stang, which is on two days a week, and the kids anchor it, and they 
work on different ads and films to produce for it. And they, they tend to be, the kids in that class don't tend to be as much in front of the camera. They like doing the behind the scenes work. They, and it's pretty incredible because sometimes they're a lot smarter than I am at it because they, they just know more about it. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about it until I started teaching it, but it's a, it's a really good opportunity for the kids. And it's kind of more of a independent working class. So, which some kids need that. They just, they just want to work on their own or with a small group and at their own pace doing projects. And they've come up with some pretty amazing things. Yeah. Now you work for the fifth largest school district in the nation. Yes, it is. Clark County school district. Um, and you know, we're a city that has been growing probably for a majority of your career Yes, and not just definitely. Yeah. Just like over the top growth. Yes. And, um, you know, what are your challenges that, that you experience, experience uh, by working for such a large school district? Um, yeah, I personally, I feel like we, we are too big in a way. Um, I think that it, it's hard for anybody in like top tier administration to really know what's going on with all the schools. There's so many. How can you possibly know what's going on with all the schools that are out there? Um, I think that we and I think it's hard to keep all schools at kind of a similar level. When you do have schools that are poverty schools, then you have the affluent affluent schools, and it's in such a large dis- district that it's hard to um, figure out how can we make all these schools good for our kids. Um, it's the resources are not always necessarily there. Um, you know, we some years we get a card to buy supplies for our classes, and some years we don't get anything to buy supplies for our classes. So, I mean, it, it can it can vary greatly on what you have at your school and what's available. Um, even simple things as getting something repaired can take a long time because there's a lot of schools out there. Um, our school is, this is its 25th year that it's been there, and you wouldn't think that's that long, but I, you know, we you wonder if we're ever going to get through a spring area without the air conditioning breaking (laughs) because, you know, just, and it's, I think it's just because the district is so big that you, you have real problems with the infrastructure and the buildings and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I I hear you say that, but then you also talk about how you have the freedom as a teacher to go after grants or, or to really um, put programming in at your school that might be unique to your school and will help your students. And there is that flexibility. Yes, there is. There is. It's just, it it takes a lot of work, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It takes a lot of work, but also takes somebody to say, Hey, I, this is important. Yes. I'm going to be an advocate for these kids. They need this. Mm -hmm. I've discovered a program that could help them and really bringing that in. Yes. And we do. And I think there are a lot of very good teachers in the district that, that do that and then, mm-hmm. you know, have the passion for it. And it's just, I think that it just takes a lot. It really does. Yeah. Um, I, I also remember you mentioning earlier that you've, you've been teaching for 21 years and uh, there may be a point in time when you move to admin. Yes. yes. Is that coming up? Chloe, what are you thinking? Um, like, how do you make that move? It's really hard because, you know, um, this year my eighth graders are one of the strongest I've ever had. But then again, I look at my seventh graders and they're a really, really strong group too. And you feel like you don't want to leave them. And um, even though I know and I've been told that when you become an administrator, you do help kids just in a different way. Um, I guess part of it is that I love my job. Um, I, and I, and I love being there being able to do what I do, but I also feel like, yes, I, I see sometimes some things happening in the school that if I was an administrator, maybe I would do differently, um, just in terms of programs and priorities and what everybody's doing, you know, and I always tell the kids, well, you know, the dream job would be that I would love to have my own performing arts school, which there are ma- great magnet schools here in Vegas, but, you know, just to have a, a school where 
maybe some of these kids that are more underprivileged or have more challenges can go and just be part of something like that. But right. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, I would think probably within the next few years here, I will probably end up making a change. Um, I say that now. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just don't know. Right? I just don't. It, it's, it's hard. It is hard. Um, I saw an old principal at a competition last year and he asked me because he knew I had got my degree and he said, well, get this out of your system first, then come see me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, 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 and he's right. I do need to get it out of my system, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah. but it, I just know that it will be very hard to say goodbye to that program. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so it's that, yeah, that makes it hard. Yeah. And it's just been such a big part of your life for so long. It has too. been. It really has been. And hey, you don't have to. No, I don't. And that's the other thing. I don't have to. <laughs> right? You don't. You no, don't I don't. I don't have to. Um, you know, it was good getting the administrative degree. I feel like it made me a better teacher because I was able to see a different perspective, also from the administrative side and the legal side and all the different things. So I, I mean, the experience of that alone was worth it to me. Yeah. Are your parents still teaching? No, they are. My father is retired, but he still directs theater. And my mother um, actually has formed her own company to improve test scores. So she and the people she worked with go into schools to help them figure out how to raise test scores. Yeah. So, yeah. but they, yeah, they both have stopped teaching, but still, still very active. Yeah. I see so you personally. I mean, I, I'm sitting here listening to your story and, and the programs that you put in place. And it's, very apparent that you're so passionate about the kids and what's best for them. Um, you know, how do you, how do you keep yourself educated or, or how do you uh, make sure that you're bringing in the best programs for your kids and, and really stay on top of, of your game? I, I really do, um, try to do a lot of research myself, but also things like when we go to, like when we went to the international festival, there's such a wealth of knowledge there that you can see of different ideas and plays and, I've brought back plays from going to the festivals or competitions that are like, wow, this is really relevant right now to what the kids need to be learning about. Um, and just also paying attention to research into how kids think and how, what motivates them. Um, I actually have a lot of talks with my mom about it because she's in this business of, you know, how to improve test scores and how yeah. kids learn. And she'll throw ideas by me and say, well, this is what I think is happening. And this, you know, she, what are you seeing in the classroom? So it's nice to have that as a resource as well. Um, but I really do. The biggest thing I think I do is I listen to the kids. I mean, and we joke about that sometimes, but I'll say to them, I say, well, what do, what's going on? Why isn't it working in that class? You know, and I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what, what's their thought process? You know, what, where, where is this generation <laughs> basically at in their thinking? Yeah. Um, and you know, it could be so easy for you not to ask those questions. Yes. And, um, I'm sure that that happens to teachers. Mm -hmm. It happens oh, yeah. to people sure who have done the same thing yes. for a long, long amount of time. So what makes you really take the time to do that? I think it is, it is helpful with the structure of my class because it is a freer structure where they're working on things independently or in groups. So when I go around to check the status of what they're doing, you can throw in a little bit of like, hey, what's going on? Or, But I guess... I knew both my parents were that style of teacher. And even when I first moved out here and I was teaching science and reading, I feel like I did the same thing, that you just made the effort to just say, you know, hey, what's going on? Um, because I think that's worth more than you know, maybe the extra instructional time you get. I mean, I know it's important to get the instructional time, but like I said, if the kid isn't buying into it or they're not focused or they're worried because they got kicked out of their house last night, they're not going to learn anything in your yeah. class that day. Whereas if you're able to kind of talk to them about it, um, maybe they will. Yeah. 
So yeah, has there ever been a time when a student will will talk to you or approach you, and you just you have no idea what to do? What yes, do? Um, in in my years teaching, definitely, um, I've had students that have participated in what's called cutting when they cut their arms and things yeah. like that. And when that, that, the first time that ever happened to me, I was really blown away. I was not sure how to handle the situation. Um, and, and you kind of learn from things like that. Um, when you have kids that come up to you and tell you that some sort of abuse has happened at home, um, each time something like that happens, it really does kind of knock the wind out of you a little bit. Um, yeah. we've had a few deaths at our school from accidents, kids getting hit by, cars and things like that. And each each instance is just very, very different where you suddenly have to take a step back and regroup and also be strong for the kids. Um, but it is it is hard. Um, and luckily, you know, you do have your resources with the counselors and the office staff, but it is always a challenge when you realize you're the person that the kid picked to open up to. So it's like you don't want to lose their trust but you also want to get them the best help that you can. Yeah. And, you know, how do you go about doing that? Because it's not like they can, you know, if they're asking you, it's not like you can say, hey, hold on a minute. I have to go ask or, or something. Right, you know? right. A lot of times I try to get as much information um, as I can, mm-hmm. um, try to take them into a area off to the side, make sure the kids are doing something, and then be able to determine, you know, if they need help from somebody else or if it's something that the student and I can just kind of handle a little bit. Right. Right. What does a challenging day look like for you? Is that Uh, most days? (laughs) A lot of days are very challenging. Um, I think one in, I'm trying to think how to word this, but a lot of the challenging days that I have, um, you can never quite tell, but it always seems like the kids will be in the same mood at the same time. (laughs) I mean, we joke about a full moon with kids, but sometimes it really just is true. Mm -hmm. And, And a challenging day is when you have a lot of kids that are just, well, and they're, they're middle school. Middle school is the moody age. And when you get, especially last week when we were doing our production and all of us are getting less sleep, you know, there are a couple of days that the kids are just at each other and you're like, calm down, it's okay, you know. Yeah. But I think, yeah, the, the challenge is balancing the idea of being someone that they feel they can talk to, but also being the instructional person and the disciplinarian all at the same time. Yeah. I think that's the challenging part of it. Um and just also is a because a lot of these kids and, and you hear things like the kids don't care and things like that, but they do they do care about their grades. They you know a lot of them really the majority of them do. And when it gets closer and closer to grades, and they start to panic and freak out and flip out and stuff like that. Um, so it can be challenging just to make sure you keep them focused in the right direction and encouraging them. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be a leader? Um, in some ways, yes. I I try to be. Um, I mean, when I think of a leader, I think of somebody that kind of um, motivates other people um, or kind of guides them in the direction. So I guess if you look at it that way, then it would be a leader um, in terms of drama and even in the houses and in the JDRF. It's it's the idea of trying to get them to understand what they need to do to succeed, to be better. Um, if I can lead that way and have them follow it, that then that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, when you're not at school and yes. during the summer, maybe when you <laughs> right. get breaks yes, and stuff, yes. um, it's got to be hard. I mean, it is. I don't know. I, I'm the type of person where it's all or nothing. So, you know, I'd always be thinking about work and the kids yes. and whatever. Yes. Is. And what's the, what's your experience like? Um, I'm a very on-the-go person. So, yeah, it takes me usually about two weeks of any given time I have off to actually feel like, oh, I don't have to be doing something right yeah, now yeah. because um, I, I do. But even then... 
yeah, it's a similar thing. I'll find myself going online, looking up scripts. I'll find myself going online, finding, okay, what, what's going on with this program or how is this program doing? So I, I do find my doing myself doing those things. Sometimes I have to force myself to just stop. And I, and I will do that. I'll, I'll say like, you know, I'm going to sit here and, and watch some TV for a little bit, yeah. or I'm going to read a little bit and, and, you know, turn off all technology, you know, in terms of computers and phones and things and say, look, you need to take a break so that you're still fresh for the kids. Right. And when you take a break, what does that look like? Um, usually it involves sitting on the couch, uh, (laughs) you know, watching some TV, maybe a glass of wine and, uh, you know, just, just relaxing and trying to, um, keep the good thoughts of the day with you, but kind of let go of maybe any frustrations or the hard things. Um, because if you let those weigh on, you can get bad in terms of just, you know, discouraging in terms of if you let, you know, if you worry too much when you're not there. And that's what I've tried to learn to do to kind of leave stuff, you know, or or at least let it kind of wash away from me at the end of the day. Right. During the summer, what do you do? Um, Well, the past two summers I have, uh, we did for part of the summer, the summer program. Um, But I do like to take a vacation if I can, go to Mexico for a week, um, go back and see family in Florida and New York and and just try to have a little bit of yeah, Amy time, <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 do things that are not so centered around jobs and things like that. Sure. And uh, what's your biggest personal challenge? I think sometimes that I care too much, and I know that sounds weird, but it, it because it can it can be a hard thing when you're when you're constantly worried and you and you're trying to do what you can and. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I know that there have been times that you have to realize there's only so much you can do and, and, th- and that will be good and you can, and you can help them and, and be there for them, you know, but you have to realize there are limitations too. Right. Um, so I think that's, you know, cause you see somebody and, and you want to help them as much as you can. Yeah. At what point in time do you kind of realize um, for your own sanity that, that you've got to let go? Um, yeah, it's when you kind of see that maybe it's beyond my area, you know, like maybe they need to go to the counselor now. It's at this point, it's like, you know, this is out of what I can do or just getting support from other teachers also helps in that. Um, you know, when you say, look, I'm talking to this kid, but can any of you help out too here? And I think that when you can share some of that of trying to help somebody or to recognize what's going on, that that's very helpful. Yeah, I can imagine. It's good that you have that support system. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you do continuing education for for school? We, I do. Uh, I haven't in a while because of getting my master's in administration. Yeah. But we, um, we do have you know professional development at our school. Um, the theater community of Clark County School District will offer like professional development um, sessions at their competitions. Um, there's a Shakespeare festival. I take the students to where you can go and uh, take a class there in professional development too. So I, I try to, you know, when I can fit it in. Right, so. right. Do you read books, listen to podcasts? Um, I do read a lot of books. I, I love to read. Um, I don't get to read as much as I like to, so I mm-hmm. tr- usually tends to be on vacation that I read more. Um, but I do like movies. I like old movies, new movies. You know, I'm just relaxing with that. Um, certain TV shows, you know. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I DVR most everything that I yeah. watch, but... Um, you know, and I just, and I like being with friends, being with good people, mm-hmm. um, you know, going downtown Summerlin or, you know, downtown just to check out what's going on in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can't imagine that you're 
career is going to end anytime soon. I don't hope not. <laughs> you know, um, it sounds like you've got some big decisions to make yeah, if you want to yes. make those. Yes. Do you ever think about retirement? Do you ever think about what what you might do after being a teacher? Um, there, I do sometimes because um, you know I, I started teaching young, so yeah. um, by the time I could retire, I I would still be young enough to be able to do something else. Um, and I still think, and, and that's another reason my degree in administration is good because it could get me into a different field, a different career. Like I said, my mom who goes into schools now and does things with test scores. Um, my father who is still directing for community theater. So, I mean, I think that I could look for things like that in the future. I, I still feel like I would like to be involved in, um, with the education system in some way, or at least with kids, um, you know, especially the middle school grade. Cause they're the rough ones. Yeah. <laughs> they're the really rough ones. <clears throat> right. They're they're in that in-between stage yes. where they they could be childlike one minute and then adults the next. Oh, and, yes, definitely. Right. <laughs> definitely. <clears throat> I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Advice to a new teacher that's about, you know, they're, they're finishing up school, they're, they're done with their student teaching, and they're about to start their career. What, what would you tell them? Oh, first of all, make sure find a mentor teacher, <laughs> find yeah. a teacher to help you out. Um, get in there, ask questions, ask a lot of questions. Cause I think sometimes we're embarrassed to ask questions and you need to, even if it's something that you're like, Oh man, I should know this still ask the question. Um, talk to people, you know, in the school that are already there. It just, even if it's not a mentor, just to talk to them to find out, you know, what are, what are the kind of kids we have? Do some research, find out what the demographics of your school are. Um, culturally, everything, you just find that out so that you're not walking in there the first day going, oh, no. <laughs> and um, and again, like we've said through this, talk to the kids. Yeah. Really make sure that and, – and be honest with the kids. Um, I think that's an important quality. Like I – and my students know this. If I'm not feeling well, I tell them straight up. I'll tell them at the beginning of class, okay, I'm not feeling that well. You know, um, my father's upcoming surgery. I, I, when I found the day I found out, I was a little bit of a wreck at school and I told the kids, I said, okay, this is what's going on. And it's amazing the response that they'll have when they know that. Cause then they're like, oh, okay. You know? Um, so I think that just as a first year teacher, you just, you need to listen, listen to what everybody has, take and take their advice, but also be sure that you're true to yourself. Why you wanted to be a teacher to begin with. Yeah. Um, because everybody has a reason for wanting to do it, but, and don't lose that along the way. And it's testing and paperwork and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, in terms of the future. So yes. this is something I'm, I'm sure every generation experiences and you just think about the future and you, you probably have concerns or, or things that you can be positive about. Um, thinking about that, what gives you hope? I think especially teaching within the demographics of the school I do and also working with the students with JDRF. Um, what gives me hope is to see these kids rise above where they are. Um, like I, I mean, I came from a fairly good family, stable background and the fact that some of these kids even get up and go to school amazes me. And so I think that we, um, we cut them a little bit short sometimes in the fact that they are able to do this and that they, with the right encouragement, um, they will succeed at it and they will, um, strive to get out there and, and do things. Um, it's, I think that we tend to us underestimate 
children, middle school kids, high school kids, that they they do have a dream there. Just maybe sometimes they've been told that they can't get it. And if you just give them that glimmer of hope, and a lot of them have the fact, like I said, the fact that they come to school at all, I think shows hope for the future um, and in terms of what they're willing to do and what they're willing to get out of life. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about life as a teacher that, you know, people just might not know? I, the thing about this profession that, that I just adore is um, the dedication. You know, your job does not start and end, you no, know, yeah. at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Um, you know, you're thinking about things. You're, right. you're looking up new programs on the computer. It's just, yeah, I, yeah, I think um, with, you know, there's a conception of, you know, we only work like a certain amount of days a year. And yeah. um, any of my friends can tell you that, yeah, I work a lot more than that. And and you're right. It doesn't end at the end of the day and you're there early. And, you know, so it doesn't really, when you look at it on paper as to what really teachers do, um, I think that there's a big discrepancy there. Um, I think that people should just know that, you know, teachers do care, even when it seems like, oh, oh I don't like my kid's teacher or something like that. They they do. And they're, and they're trying and they, they're there for a reason. Um, and that they do love what they're doing and they're trying to make a difference there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we have a lot of really, really good teachers out there that do care. Um, and it's always fun. One of the fun, well, weirdest things about being a teacher is the idea of when you're outside school and you see kids and it's like, they think you you live (laughs) at the school. They're like, they can't believe they're seeing you outside somewhere else. Um, Right. So I mean, with, with maybe a, a glass of wine, with, with in your a glass hand, of wine, right? or with you know, or with um, a boyfriend, or something like that, you know, yeah. and it's like all of a sudden you've blown their mind. But in a way, too, it's those experiences that they'll come in like the next day to school, and suddenly they feel like they know you, and they're all important. And, and then it's a funny thing, and it's kind of a teachable moment in a way. So, yeah. but yeah, it's uh, like I said, I do love my job, and I know there's a lot of other people that do as well, and I think it's important for just people to understand that. Yeah. Thanks for everything that you do oh, as a you. teacher. Thank you. Um, you know, you're just doing so many incredible things, not, not only with uh, Drama and Media, but also with JDRF, um, with which is Juvenile Diabetes. Um, and I certainly appreciate you coming in and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This interview is proof that if you want to do something, whether it's advocacy, support, or doing something like keeping a drama program alive in an environment where the odds are stacked against you, it all boils down to taking action. Info on juvenile diabetes and the Ron Clark Academy House System can be found in the show notes. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, visit the Leadership Looks Like Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Leadership Looks Like is a podcast dedicated to leaders everywhere. Our mission is to show that leaders come from all different backgrounds, ages, colors, shapes, and sizes. For more information about our project or to become a contributor, visit leadershiplookslike.org. Sign up for Fresh Start Mondays and get access to free leadership tips delivered to your inbox every Monday. To subscribe, visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash subscribe. And finally, The Coop, Las Vegas' newest co-working location with a focus on community and collaboration. If you're a small business owner looking for office space and amenities and would like to be located in Summerlin, visit thecoopcowork.com. Until next time, continue to inspire and support one another through effective leadership. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. See you again next week.